You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling out to the ancestors. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those people who lived well and died well and bring all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines to us in this great legacy. And may we have the wisdom to use it in a good way to support us to meet the challenges of our time, to know where we can stand firmly as humans, as humans have from the beginning, but also to know what we must change, what we must innovate, what we must heal, what we must do differently. And I call out to these ancestors to gather around us with their richness and their blessing and their joy for life and to support us in these things. And I reach beyond these human ancestors to those non-human ancestors, those energies of nature that were here long before anyone ever dreamt up a human. And I call out to these spirits of nature to be with us here today and to help us to surrender ever more fully to our own true nature, to what makes us unique in this great web of life, and to bring those gifts forward in a way that we become the medicine for our world. May we do what needs to be done for those who are coming. And as these ancestors gather around us here today, let us gather ourselves, drawing our energy in from our head, wherever it might be, down into our heart, from our heart down into our belly, and from our belly, let us reach down to the earth and take a moment and give thanks for this day. Thanks for life, its beauty, its diversity, its challenges, and its wonder, for the wonder of life itself. And with this gratitude in our heart, let us extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth, letting our gratitude pour out as we go until we reach the very center of the earth. And let us take a moment in that stillness and silence, in the darkness, in that energy that is before expression, and that energy that is before creation, and that energy that is before the abundance that we enjoy, enjoy here on the face of the earth. Let us connect into that which in, in, infuses us, that replenishes and nourishes us. Let's draw this energy up just as we would reach our hands into a fresh, cool spring of water on a hot, hot day. Let us reach our energy deep into the earth and to draw this earth energy up, up through all the layers of the earth, bringing into our bodies rejuvenation, replenishment, refreshment, drawing up all the wisdom of manifestation. How do we be here in form in a good way? And we call this energy up. And we ask this energy of the earth to help us to understand how to be grounded, how to live in a way that we understand who we are, where we stand, and what we stand for, and to build our sense of home from this place. And may our home have a sense of hearth, and all of this give us a sense of belonging to those who became before us and to those who are coming. 
And let us create a sense of home that is not locked to place or to nations, but is a home that lives in our heart. And let us open our door, set a place at the table for the other, and begin to invite into our lives those who are different than we are, to inspire us to become the men and women we were truly meant to be. And so we call these energies in, that we can begin to understand how to connect with the many different aspects of our own self, and that we can connect with our environment. We can connect with the helping spirits around us. And ultimately, through these connections and interconnections, we can expand out from ourselves in a way that we can understand this great web of life. Not understanding in our mind, but simply feeling our place within it. And from that right placement, may we come into right relationship with ourselves and then in all other relationships in our life. And so let's draw this energy of the earth up, up from the belly to the heart and the heart to the mind, and then up and out through the top of the head, through the sky, out through the atmosphere, and all the way up into the cosmos, reaching up and out past all the heavenly bodies and the great wonders of our universe, all those things we don't yet understand or know. Let us reach all the way to the highest power of the universe, and by whatever name we know this energy, whatever way we conceive of it, let us connect with it. Let it connect with us, and us with it, and then begin to draw this energy down drawing into ourselves into these proceedings drawing into our day the essence energy of protection and blessing drawing these energies in so that we feel commitment and devotion inspiration and illumination and that we call in the benevolence of this universe and all the wisdom of the cosmos we call these energies down into our lives into our head and our heart and our heart and our belly and we send the energy of the sky all the way down to the center of the earth just as we drew the earth energy up and in this way we connect above and below in this way humans open that center channel within ourselves and connect to the larger world around us and we connect to these two great legendary lovers and it is from their love that all this whole experience of form that we're all sharing was born and we ask that this big love these two share awaken the spirit of our own heart and let that crucible of transformation that lives in the heart come alive and within us here today and call up the fiery passions of our belly that know why we are here in our own unique self and call down the crystal clarity of the mind that can look around us and see the time we are born into and begin to understand how we can do this in a good way we call these energies together in the heart and we ask them to move together in a way that that dynamic tension can give birth to a third and most sacred thing which our memory of why we are here and may we find courage in that very same heart to do something in this day large or small to bring that gift into manifestation in the world And for all that you are doing to make this happen, I give thanks. And for all the spirit help that we each have to do this, I give great gratitude. May what needs to be said be said, what needs to be heard be heard, and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. Speaking of living things that I feel grateful for, I would like to give special thanks to Jesse and Mary Therese to Jose, to Cecilia and Paul and all of the other listeners who have been able to donate financially to the show. For those of you that are listening for the first time, this show is listener supported. Someone has to pay the bills that keeps the show and the show archives, which are now well over 300 hours about the application of shamanism in our contemporary times. 
Someone has to pay the bills to keep it out there on the internet so that it's free to anyone who can access it uh, by getting online. And so I give great gratitude to those of you that are helping me to do that. I also give thanks to those of you who are using the ideas that we are talking about in the show in your own lives, applying them in your journey circles, in your own shamanic practice, sharing them with others, um, entering into dialogue with it, wrestling with these ideas, and trying to break them, trying to see how they really work in our everyday life, sending me questions, sending me new show ideas that come out of the questions. All of this is also a way to exchange energy and to keep the show alive and vital and well. So the whole point is shamanism. The point is if this show moves you in any way, if it moves you to inspiration or irritation, to laughter or pain (laughs) it has moved you and if it moves you in the heart may that thing that moves your heart motivate your actions in the world this is the core of shamanic work in the world and i invite you to do so if you want to make a donation you can go to whyshamanismnow.com donate any amount large or small in any currency Um, it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air and you can always email me at christina at lastmaskcenter.org if you'd like a regular address for a regular check and i'm also giving gratitude to all of you who help the show to grow in all the many ways so today our title is schizophrenia and shamanism with author dick russell welcome dick Thank you, Christina. Good to be with you today. So thank you for joining us. Um, as, I, as I tell listeners, one of the most often requested topic to dive more deeply into is shamanism and various kinds of mental illness. And honestly, the information out there is challenging at best. And so I'm really grateful for you and your book. So thank you for writing it. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yes, it was... Uh... It was a labor of love and uh, often a very painful book to write, looking back on um, the early uh, period after my son had his breakdown when he was 17. But ultimately, I, f- I feel like, uh, hope- hopefully anyway, that it's uh, going to be a book that will be very rewarding to people who have children in similar situations and uh, perhaps will open their eyes to a new way of looking for alternatives to medication. So- so for those of you that don't know, Dick is actually an award-winning author, and so we're honored to have him with us here today. He's also an environmental journalist, um, and today he's talking about his book, My Mysterious Son, and this book is available now. Um, the whole title is My Mysterious Son, A Life-Changing Passage Between Schizophrenia and Shamanism. This book, as he said, is a memoir of his journey with his son, Franklin, beyond the Western medical model, um, which had diagnosed Frank, um, as Dick said, when he was 17 with schizophrenia, or as a schizophrenic. You know how you all know how we feel about diagnoses. Anyway, so um, Dick shares their experience, his uh, his and his sons, their experience together, and they're forging a healing relationship um, with Maladoma Patrice Somme, who is someone we have also talked about oftentimes on the show. So um, Dick is also the author of twelve books, including several New York Times bestsellers and The Eye of the Whale, um, which was named Best Book of 2001 by three major newspapers. He has written dozens of articles about other environmental issues for publications ranging from the nation to parenting and served for 18 years as a contributing editor to On Earth, the award-winning quarterly publication of the Natural Resources Defense Council. Um, He has been the recipient of the National Coalition of Marine Conservation's Golden Swordfish Award in 1984 and is an active member of the Society of Environmental Journalists and Penn USA. 
So you can go to his web- website, which is simply dickrussell.org and find his other books and this book. Um, you can also email Dick at dickrussl at aol.com or email me and I'd be happy to forward your um, emails to him. We are not live today, but you are certainly welcome to ask us questions about today's show. So Dick, again, thank you for joining us today. So Hugh and Frank have had a really, really long journey together. And um, Frank's how old now? He is now 36. Okay, so it's been many, many years since he was diagnosed at 17. So um, why don't you give us a quick version of a long story that just how did, how did things begin to present themselves in Franklin? And then kind of what were the, the typical things a parent in your place would go through with your son in the you know, contemporary medical climate? Well, it was tremendously difficult. I mean, you know, the Western medical model is all about medication, and that's all uh, Franklin's mother and I really knew. Um, he'd, uh, you know, he'd, looking back, you can see certain signs. I mean, when he was he was uh, younger, he had difficulty focusing sometimes in school and uh, trouble finishing things. His teachers had noticed that. Um, and one thing that struck me as, as very curious, and I had no idea what it meant, was when shortly before he was 16, uh, Franklin handed me a piece of paper that he typed up, and it was describing this vision that he'd had uh, the night before, before he fell asleep. And it was a very, very curious vision. I'm going to share it with your audience because it, it sort of presages what came later. He was lying in bed with his eyes closed, and he passed through a square and then a spiral that had these protruding rays and then a bigger circle that turned into a sun. And as he moved closer to this, he wrote, it became a tunnel. And this tunnel was as if in space and nothing else existed, and he moved slowly along and then went through it. And then there was an opening he set onto something that he'd never seen before that was tremendously beautiful, and it was a column with a pyramid in front and more columns on both sides. He was above the ground, about 10 feet off the ground, and there was this open eye, like the one on the dollar bill. He kept on going higher and higher, and he saw water glistening with the light of the sun, and then another tunnel, uh, which he said was like a cave with dips in the earth, although it wasn't musty, he wrote. And he, it was shiny and full of colors, and he said the last thing uh, he remembered was going through that tunnel slowly. Well, I didn't know anything about shamanism at the time, but I have since read about the tunnel that often presents itself. Uh, I read about it in Michael Harner's book, The Way of the Shaman, and, and uh, <clears throat> other such experiences. So looking back, I can see that this was sort of a uh, foretelling of... Uh, a link, really, between, and I, I write about this a lot in the book, between uh, what's called schizophrenia and and uh, the shamanic. And But to, cutting ahead now to when he was 17, you know, Franklin had a, a wonderful summer at, at, with friends of mine and his mother's in Mexico. He'd been surfing and fishing, and he came back, I remember, and said, uh, uh, we were driving along one day in the car, and he said, Dad, I, I can't find my old self again. And, and uh, he started having suicidal thoughts. Um, it was very, very scary, although I didn't, you know, I didn't expect it. This happens really out of the blue. I mean, you don't know what's going on when suddenly one night he came back from a, a friend's place and he was just totally gone. I mean, he, he, was, uh, he was shaking, he was paranoid, he was full of delusions. He had to be hospitalized, and um, uh, I'd just never been through anything like it or, or, or known anything, you know, to expect anything like this. So 
you know, he was hospitalized for a month, and the doctors told us that, you know, he should go. They gave him a, a diagnosis of probable schizophrenia, and, and uh, he was getting, you know, messages from the TV and, and uh, hearing voices, uh, common symptoms of, of what's called schizophrenia. And uh, so he was hospitalized then for a period of a month. And the next, I don't know, decade, I guess, he, it was just a, a series of, of very traumatic times. I mean, he was in and out of hospitals. Once for as long as, as a year, he would go on and off uh, his medication. Um, one time the police had to come and arrest him at his psychiatrist's office. Uh, you know, it was it was really um, desperate, and I call this whole first part of the book the desperate years. And um, one time I, I remember he, he walked just walked into a police station and then said, uh, uh, I'm 100 years old and my feet hurt. And uh, he was he was asking to be, you know, he he needed something. Um, he went through periods of electric, you know, brief period of electroshock treatment, which uh, we reluctantly agreed to. Um, he began to uh, to say that I wasn't really his father, and uh, became very what full of what seemed to be delusional ideas. Uh, he was a lot of other people. He was King King Tutankhamun. He was Bob Marley, Slim Shady. Uh, one time he escaped from the hospital, I remember, and, and, and then came back. Um, they call that, I, I, check out this phrase, trying to elope. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I mean, it was, I, I think one of the most important things that happened during that uh, early period was that, um, and, and this was when Frank was living in a, in a group home, uh, he left, he wanted to move out on his own when he was about 19. He did finish high school um, at, a, at a different high school than he'd been in uh, when he was hospitalized, but he did do it. And um, he went to a technical school for a little while, uh, getting more schooling and got 32 credit hours in mechanical engineering. This was all after his breakdown, but it was a back and forth kind of thing. And But I, I was doing a biography later of a uh, an incredible man named uh, James Hillman, the founder of Archetypal Psychology, and uh, one day I was visiting him at his at his house, and he tuned into the fact that I was really pretty down about what was happening with my son, and and uh, I told him that I kept, you know, I was always I felt like I had to correct his thinking, his faulty thinking, his delusions, and and James Hillman said, you know, just give it up, stop trying to change him, to correct him, to make him into what you think he should be. He said, just go with it. And, uh, you know, have a normal conversation with him. Tell him about your day. Ask about his. And no matter what he says, just, uh, you know, have in, learn to enjoy him in that way. And, boy, I tell you, once I did that, it really changed our relationship. It was no longer this overly parental, overbearing uh, situation. Um, but, you know, over the years, on one of the medications, Iprexa, Franklin put on tremendous weight. I mean, he was a very handsome, young, biracial uh, kid, and um, and he put on like 100 pounds with this medication. I mean, it was it was just awful to see what was happening with him. I remember one time, uh, you know, he, he was he had agreed to take vitamins as a as a supplement, and and then uh, the house that he was living in took him off the vitamins because they weren't prescribed. I mean, you know, this is the kind of situation that we're dealing with a lot with the mental health system, and. Um, and, you know, Franklin, when he was young, sort of tuned into this. I mean, he, he, he used to write about it. He kept a journal. And, and uh, one time, you know, he wrote, you know, meditation as opposed to medication. Is it the answer or is it a combination? He said, where does bipolar illness or schizophrenia come from and why do so many people have it? And he knew there was another way. And uh, his mom and I did too, but it would take us 
a long time to to figure out what that was. Um, I will say that spending a little over a year in a wonderful place in New Jersey uh, called Earth House, which my is, was very expensive and I couldn't have afforded, but my brother helped me out, um, where he went on an orthomolecular, so an orthomolecular doctor for, for nutrient therapy as well as staying on his medication and was very active with a group, peer group of young people his age, uh, really um, helped him tremendously save his life, I think. I mean, we took him, I took him right from a hospital to this place, um, from Boston to New Jersey, and, and over the course of that little over a year, he lost 100 pounds. I mean, he looked great again. Mm-hmm. And so this is kind of the early story, um, what ch- began to change things. But I, I must say, too, that I had noticed um, as the years went by that there was a very strong psychic component uh, to my son's so-called mental illness, um, that he could had this uncanny ability to to tune into my my thoughts and and you know it was it was it was really quite incredible i mean he would just uh he he could he could uh, say what's what's your favorite book he asked me one time and i'd been reading a biography of henry miller and who was one of my favorite writers and all of a sudden frank looks at me and he says tropic of capricorn which was the first miller book that i'd ever read and you know i'd say at one point i said you know do you have a, a direct path into my brain and he says <laughs> he says no but uh he said a lot of times um i feel things and uh it was quite remarkable as as the years went by to to uh, begin to observe this more and more in him, which now I would say, after having the experience with melanoma and, and uh, other people in the in the shamanic world, that you know he was he had he had this gift. I mean, he lived in another realm basically a lot of the time, but it was a place that I couldn't go, but that he was familiar with and enabled him to uh, just to tell me about things that you know he had no way directly in, in what we call 3D reality of, of knowing. And uh, um, so what began to change this? Do you want me to just continue to tell you this story, or do you want to ask me anything? Well, I just wanted to stop for a minute and remind people that, you know, when we step out of our allopathic medical model and into shamanism, we, we change something that's really important for people to remember, which is when we're in our um, contemporary medical model, we are, we are really looking at a system that says if you have these symptoms, then it equals this diagnosis. It is a system of answers, and that's what people want when they're desperate is answers. Sure. And and it's a system that's built on that, and there's certain things it does magnificently. This happens to not be one of them. You know, the problem for people is to recognize when you step into shamanism, it's not the same medical model. It is not a system of answers that says, if you have these things, then this is true. It's a system of questions. It, and and right. one of the things, as you work with maladoma, in your particular story, you know, everything's moving through divinations. You do a divination, you act on it, things shift, you do another divination. And that's actually how shamanism does work. And so that's one of the most challenging things, especially if you are a parent or a person, you know, suffering with a similar diagnosis from the system and a similar story. We are not saying that what is true for Franklin is necessarily true for you. All we're saying is that, you know, shamanism may be a path to come to understand what is true for you. Right. Yes. And that's tricky for people. 
it's tricky because it does raise more questions than give answers, and it it, yeah. it forces the the parents, in this case myself and my ex-wife, um, uh, to go on a journey themselves that they certainly never imagined they would. I'll get to some of that a little bit later in our discussion, but you know, uh, I had to, to do some uh, major work um, with my ancestors, and I had never even given that much thought. <laughs> I mean, I was you know, uh, I had been close to my parents when I was growing up, and they certainly raised me well and everything. But, you know, once I left home, I left home, and I never really, I didn't really know grandparents or great-grandparents. I never never thought I was going to be doing, sitting in a, with, a, with a lighted candle doing uh, rituals, um, calling upon my ancestors. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's one example of, of uh, a stretch that I uh, took willingly uh, after meeting Maladoma and, and also Kay Lawrence, a shaman in Maine that I, I worked with also at the same time. Uh, previously, and um, uh, but you know, it was a whole new, whole new world, and one that I cannot say that I uh, understand. Uh, but right. I do trust it. I've come to trust it. Yeah. So what? What? Let's jump forward. So what got you to um, either K or Maladoma? What? What came first? Well, first, what happened, and I should just, should just tell this briefly, was that I took Franklin to East Africa um, in the uh, in January of 2012 because um, as I say he's biracial I felt you know uh, it would be a chance for him to be in a in a in a culture that they were you know all black culture basically we went to Tanzania we were traveling with a pediatrician that uh, he'd known from his childhood who'd grown up there uh, raised by missionary parents back in the 30s and 40s so you know it was a it was a real opportunity to uh, and also we went for the wildlife migration and, and without getting in detail about this whole story. It's the second part of the book, but it was a, a really a huge uh, life-changing beginning of a life-changing experience for my son and I as, as a father and son um, because uh, we went through some couple of harrowing nights there. One where he disappeared, I thought, into the bush, um, and uh, when he was angry uh, because I was being overly parental and overly controlling, which I had to admit. Um, and then toward the end of the trip when he, had, uh, he was taking medication through the trip and when he'd mixed it up uh, over a couple of days, um, I was terrified one night um, when he sort of went so far out there that I was afraid that this trip was a terrible mistake that I'd I'd uh, brought him to here to Africa and he was so psychically in tune that he'd absorbed the whole African unconscious and I didn't know if I could get him back. Um, and um, without going into that whole story, I, I will just say that after uh, a journey through the universe with him that night. Um, he was able to come back when he could finally feel me when i wasn't just the 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 traveling journalist father that took him on this marvelous trip but when it, when i was you know standing over his bed and just saying pouring my heart out to him uh, and just telling him that you know how much this trip meant to me how much i regretted things that had happened when he was little and all of a sudden in the midst of that he snaps back into earthly reality and he looks at me and he says you're crying and I said, oh, I, I guess I am. And he says, well, are you having a breakdown? <laughs> and I said, uh, could be, Franklin. He said, well, maybe you're the one who should be hospitalized. <laughs> I mean, suddenly it was incredible, actually. The roles were reversed. And <laughs> he was taking care of me. And the whole rest of that trip, he was a saint. I mean, he was, I mean, it, it was amazing. It was, uh, but I, I looked back at it in retrospect as a huge moment uh, and a learning experience for me uh, that uh, this was what, you know, that he, he this could happen. And um, 
so we came back to the U.S. after the, after the trip, and he went back to school. Uh, he started going back to school for the first time in years, and I stayed in Boston with him instead of I'm sort of a bi-coastal person, but I stayed and uh, to just be with him. And and um, but then he had a teacher that he didn't get along with. He went off medication again. Boom! He was back in a hospital that summer, and uh, I I was just uh, you know after all of this. I didn't know what to do, I, I, but I went to a conference um, in Maine on alternatives to uh, psychotropic, as they're called, medications. And while I was at that conference, I heard, and, I, and there I also listened to the, the horrible figures about uh, you know, the pharmaceutical industry and the huge increase in sales of psychiatric drugs, including far, far more to children these days uh, who exhibit, quote, symptoms at a very young age. I mean, I think it's just, it's criminal what's going on with all of that. And, and um, anyway, I, I, you know, and also the, the impact of these medications, I'd seen side effects like weight gain, but, you know, there was, there's a lot more. There's deterioration of brain function that happens over the years. And, you know, I knew uh, my son couldn't go off medication just like that, but maybe there was something. Maybe there was something that could be an adjunct to to uh, to this that he I I could find. And I heard this woman suddenly in the back of the room uh, mention shamanism. And uh, I had been reading a book called The Horse Boy uh, by Rupert Isaacson, mm-hmm. which is the story. Mm-hmm. It's a terrific book and the story of how this couple take their their aut- severely autistic son to Mongolia to meet with a shaman. And I just you know it's, it was like eye opening to me. And um, so uh, I was certainly aware of shamanism at that point. And uh, through this woman, I ran into her then in the hallway almost by accident, and she told me about um, Kay Lawrence, who was sort of her shamanic teacher in in uh, in Maine. And so my current wife and I went to see Kay, um, who had uh, told us that she wept seeing a picture of, of Frank. Um, but she said he's such a sweet soul, and she said, you know, he might have shamanic abilities. And, um, but, you know, both my wife and I felt that, that, uh, Franklin probably needed to see someone else, someone, you know, maybe who was African-American or uh, someone who could, who could relate to that, um, aspect of him, you know, and so I, I, I remembered, um, that in 2008, I'd interviewed a man on the phone named Maladoma Somme, and I had talked to him about James Hillman. Uh, the psychologist that I was writing a biography about, um, because they'd been very connected in the men's movement. And um, I looked back at my notes, and way back then, Maladoma had said to me on the phone, if you can get him to Africa, there will be something there. Well, he was certainly right. And um, so I found out that Maladoma was going to be in Ojai, um, and I was going to be back in L.A. in uh, the winter, uh, early winter of 2012, and I made an appointment to see him um, for for a divination, and I went strictly to see him about Franklin, and um, and which most people don't, I guess. I mean, you know, people usually go because they have their own issues that they want to bring up, and certainly my mind would play a role. But I was really there to to see him, um, you know, about about my son, and and um, we had quite a quite a session together. Um, First, doing a divination, I don't know if I need to describe how it works, but in the West African tradition, there's this you know white cloth that's a small table between the the two of you and and uh, there's a a, a a circle in at the center of the cloth and then around the perimeter and and used to divide it into quadrants are these five colored stripes of black and blue and green and red and white. and then there's a whole bunch of objects inside the circle with cowrie shells and 
stones of various kinds and coins from different countries and a ring, a key, all these interesting objects. And so Maladoma says, uh, use your strong hand to spread the shells and these other objects clockwise inside the circle, uh, which males do. Females go counterclockwise. And he's going to tell me when to stop. And so after 10 seconds or so, he does, and he peers down at the pattern, and then he starts to talk to me about it. And um, it was quite an incredible time with him. I actually did two sessions in a row, which were 90 minutes, and he, he allowed me to tape it because he doesn't remember uh, what is said during one of these sessions. And I remember him saying to me, um, your job, he said, the way the pattern is laid out, he said, it's, a, it's almost like, it's, it's, it's kind of a mirror of otherworldly scenarios, almost like these two mag magnets that are each pulling the other and, and your son is in the middle. And he says, your job with him is to hold the space. And um, also, uh, to uh, he said, you know, your ancestors don't know who he is. They don't understand him. I mean, for one thing, he's biracial. For the other, he's in my ancestors come from Ireland and Norway and Great Britain. And so he said they don't they've got to give him a place at the table. So um, there were rituals that were connected with this. And he also said, you know, it's not a fair approach to look at your son as sick. He said frequencies of this that that, that frequencies of this nature are not allowed is really a major uh, discrimination. He said, I, kinda, I was kind of like Franklin's biographer. He said, in a sense, he's a gatekeeper, you know, to this, uh, to this other world that I was going to have to learn about. And, and um, he said that uh, the first thing I needed to do was I had to bring some specific natural elements to the edge of the water, the ocean. I had to bring organic milk and apple cider vinegar and a spirits. I brought vodka, a small little bottle of vodka, and then an ear of Indian corn, and I was... I was to offer these to the water spirit as nourishment for Franklin's psyche. So there I was, you know, this uh, uh, <laughs> aging uh, white guy out there at, at the beach in Malibu uh, trying to be as uh, unobtrusive as I could, um, wading out into the surf and pouring these libations into uh, a series of, of seven waves. Um, so Maladoma had said that after I had embarked on this he wanted me to he wanted to meet franklin and um so um in beginning of 2013 uh he was going to be in in jamaica uh, doing a workshop um at a at a, a, a resort you know sort of a wellness center called jackie's on the reef uh, in the grill jamaica beautiful place uh, right on the caribbean and that uh, i should bring uh bring frank there and and they would uh they would meet and um I can continue that story unless you have anything you'd like to interject at this point. Well, I just, um, one of the things is, it, it sounds to me that, um, you know, this water ritual was actually something that you performed repeatedly, right? I did. It wasn't, it wasn't yeah. like just a one-time thing. And, um, you know, and the, the beauty of the these divinations that Maladoma did, and it's one of the things that you learn when you're training with him, is that you know, they're very complex, and again, they 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 speak to the wholeness of a person's life because they are interpreted through the cosmology of the um, Dagra people, and and it's one of the. I'm just pointing this out because it's one of my little soapboxes around shamanism and and practicing without a cosmology is like the the power 
a lot of the power of what Maladoma is able to do in this relationship with you and your son comes from the fact that this cosmology gives him an entirely different way to look at your son. Yes, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and I just want to point out for people that don't necessarily know that cosmology, the part of the beauty of this offering with the seven waves and being in the ocean is that the water energy in this cosmology is the big healer. It's about reconciliation and peacemaking and healing, and it's the water that comes to the earth that gives it the capacity to make life happen. And so it's just... um, it's a beautiful uh, piece, uh, and sometimes, I don't know, there's a certain richness in really understanding this cosmology that Maladoma is working in, and, and, and part of it is, um, you know, that, that recognition that it's not, there's a lot of, um, you know, often quoted the idea that, you know, schizophrenics are, you know, the past shamans, but there's a there's a it's a bigger picture because the other piece of this you know especially about your job to hold space for franklin is it's partly that entire job is sitting on your shoulders because franklin's culture has utterly failed him right he's not been initiated no one's holding Mm -hmm. space for him and through the lens of the cobbled together crazy cosmology of American culture, they don't have any way to look at him other than the fact that he doesn't fit in, so he needs to be medicated so that we can force him to fit in. And, right. you know, yeah, um, exactly. He, he actually wrote that in one of his journals once. He, sure. he wrote, I, I don't fit in, I need a medicine man to help me out. Exactly. He actually wrote that. And he did. And, um, and you know, thank God, found mm-hmm. maladoma. <laughs> I mean, uh, it was he was incredible, and in fact, you know, when uh, from the minute we got to Jamaica, actually, Franklin just fell in love with the place. I mean, he just loved the feeling of it. He loved Bob Marley when he was growing up, and he just there's just the whole feeling of of the culture there, so different than the American culture. And uh, I remember we walked, we walked, we were coming out of our room the first night there, and he he looks at me and he says, "The Lakota Sioux are here." Now, this was a curious thing to say, but, you know, I took him to the Lakota Reservation when he was young, and we actually went to a Sundance and he, um, and together, and, you know, it was, but it was a bigger reference than just that. It was something, um, you know, the Lakota, of course, written about, I, in fact, I was reading the Harner book at the time, and, I, and, and you know, he, he writes about the, the Lakota in the book and, and the shamanic aspect of them, and, and um uh, and Franklin, I don't know, he started doing these drawings for Maladoma ahead of time, and he having these dreams about animals. And um, so I knew that something major was going to happen. And um, when we finally uh, saw him, Franklin saw him. Well, we first we met the night, the first night uh, before the divination sessions the next day. I mean, Franklin was he was just having a ball with Maladoma, and vice versa. They were sitting at the dinner table, and and Franklin was joking with him, and you know, pouring on this pepper sauce onto his food and having Maladoma taste it because it was really spicy. <laughs> anyway, they hit it off right from the beginning, and um, and when uh, when they when they actually sat down together for a divination. I left them alone, but again, I, I taped the session, and so I saw Franklin afterwards. He came back to our, our cottage there, and he, uh, I said, well, it was 40 minutes, and Franklin says, 40 minutes. He said, it could have been four years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, was, mm-hmm. he, he was there, and he had spent a lot of that session um, doing drawings for Maladoma, and uh, and, and, and which was, you know, very interesting. And Maladoma loved his drawings, and in fact took them with him 
some of them, and he told me later that he would meditate upon them because they were so, uh, they reflected, well, some of them are in these kind of hieroglyphic-like symbols that he channels from somewhere, I don't know, um, Asian kind of characters, and, and uh, you know, sort of a, Maladoma said at one point he even saw Dogon cosmology in them, um, and one thing that they spoke of how they were each fascinated by the other, and uh, I'll just read this one little bit that Melodoma said to him. He said, um, "He said it's, it's, this is exciting because what it tells me is that you're in touch with the universal consciousness, and also that you live in a state of timelessness. See, the sequentiality of time and space only applies to you if you want it to. Otherwise, you can find yourself here and then go far into time and then come back so fast that nobody notices." This is why you look like a messenger of the cosmos. You process so much data that sometimes you're in multiple places at the same time. And yet you still look like you're here in body and flesh sitting in front of me, when in fact, it's everywhere. There's something about that that also makes you, as you sit here, look like you're a subspace antenna picking up messages from so far away. And you know, <laughs> I, that felt so true to me when uh, I heard it on the tape. And, uh, and Franklin, you know, it gave Franklin a sense that he wasn't, so alone, you know that that mm -hmm. uh, yeah. that the, str the strangeness that people always saw in him, in, including his own father. You know, I thought he was very strange when he, you know a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. uh, was was uh, had some real validity that the the psychic impressions he had were were uh, in fact you know recognized and and quite marvelous. And um, so it was a it was a major moment. Um, and when I went to see Maladoma after that, uh, he, he said, oh, my God, he said, your son had my head spinning. He says, uh, he says it was like, it was, he, said, he, he said, he ended the session. <laughs> he, said, you know, mm -hmm. he said, can I go now? And, uh, but he said that it, he said it was really like uh, sitting with a colleague. And, um, and he had some, you know, more things that, uh, that especially I had to do. Um, and it was interesting because that night, after we both spent time with Maladoma, um, I was uh, Maladoma was going to go out, and, and there was they were going to go out and hear some drumming, and he was probably going to take part. And and uh, but Franklin just wanted to be alone. He said no. He said he he and he, he we spent that night. I didn't go either, and we spent that night in uh, in silence, basically. And he was just taking it all in, absorbing it. It was a a huge. Um, moment in his life, and um, of course, and then after Maladoma left, I mean, Franklin was entertaining all the women who were there. It was very funny. He wanted to move there. I mean, it was—you could already see there was a big change that was happening in him. And um, Maladoma told me later, he said, "Well, there was a lot more work done subspace during those that time I spent with with Frank than uh, you know was immediately uh, than anybody would ever see." And so it was again for me, um, um, you know, a belief in uh, a greater belief that I was coming to in the invisible world. I mean, I'm a very rational Western guy. I mean, not entirely. I, I certainly have always believed there's a higher power uh, at work in, in on the earth and in the universe. But you know, I I I'd never never quite explored this uh, things in this in this way before, and. Um, so the Jamaica was was huge, and um, I remember Franklin. I looked back at Franklin's journal. I'm going to read just this one little expert and part uh, piece of it again, and then you can ask me further questions. But he said, "As a man, I felt I had no purpose. I've been lost, and I've been found. 
As a man, you create your purpose and your sense of it. It's growth that I'm talking about. It isn't the growth of a nation that creates a man. It isn't material expansion or monetary development. It comes from inside. When there is nothing, there is infinite potential for something. Where there's darkness, light is there to fill it. Mm-hmm. Pretty profound, yeah. I thought. Yeah. Well, and there's an aspect that I actually see a lot in, in, in the capacity of someone to feel whole in their uniqueness, which yeah. is that they need to be seen. And, you know, exactly. and, and, and Franklin is so unique relative to the normal person he would encounter day by day in America that he wasn't being seen. And, and, and more so, he was being misseen, you know, inaccurately seen. And Maladoma saw him. Right. And he, he got to experience being seen and being with someone who saw him as normal. Yeah, exactly. It, it, and then, similar to... I was just going to say in the book, in what in, in you you see in Franklin, how it's almost as if you know he begins to find a footing. Then, yeah, yeah, he does, and and it, you know in other cultures, I mean, I this seen this in Africa too, in East Africa, um, the our tour guide uh, was this Maasai uh, named Stefan, who was the same age as Franklin, and the thing that was so interesting about him was that he didn't judge Franklin at all. You know, he he's he just accepted you know what others might see as very weird things that he said and and uh, you know the night that Frank had his was having a what could have been a terrible breakdown but actually was a real breakthrough I remember Stefan saying to me when I was telling him a little about it uh, oh he's a good man he's a good man in other words there was no uh, no judgment and and it's the western judgments and you know that are are but a force I think the uh us to believe that the Western medical model is the only way to go. And I don't mean to say that I think shamanism, as you mentioned earlier, is the way for everyone in such a situation. But but in, in this case, um, you know, for, for a lot of different reasons, the, the need to for me to and, and for Frank's mother to look back at our, our pasts and our ancestors and, and for Frank to be with a a truly amazing African man was, uh, in his case, uh, what what has been needed and, and is still needed, really. I mean, we're not... Mm-hmm. The book doesn't end on a, uh, a curing point, you know. I mean, uh, <clears throat> there's a whole new, whole other dimension that, that still needs to be to be explored. But certainly, um, I've seen a tremendous uh, difference in in, in in Franklin. And uh, without getting into the whole story of the ritual that Frank's mother also went through, um, she saw Maladoma for what she thought uh, this was in the Baltimore area was going to be a 45 minute. A divination. Well, it turned into 24 hours because he saw things that needed to uh, to be you know, healed, uh, cleansed, purified, and uh, she went through an elaborate um, all night ritual actually, um, where uh, she found herself weeping through much of it and um, going back to memories which Kay Lawrence uh, had seen too uh, and taken her on a shamanic, you know, under lower world journey uh but something very traumatic had happened to her when she was very young like three years old the memory was blocked out and uh they they went back there to uh to find out um what it was and basically heal it so all this was involved um in uh, my son's um transition from uh someone who basically never left his room for a long time um to someone who's out every day, uh, going to a gym, I think clearer in thought than he's been in a long, long time, um, still on medication, but looking to a point where he will not have to be, perhaps. And um, that's what I'm in the midst of exploring now. 
And so you and your wife, well, Franklin's mother, and yes. Franklin are all still on and off in, I mean, it, 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 the work with Maladoma is still unfolding, if I, if I understand correctly. Yes, it is. It's still unfolding. And um, yeah. uh, I saw him very recently in, in Ojai, and we've discussed uh, possibly something he talked about in the very beginning. He sort of foresaw that eventually um, Franklin would come or I would bring him to uh, his village, Maladoma's village in uh, Burkina Faso. Mm-hmm. And uh, things would take um, another turn there, hopefully. So mm-hmm. we're looking looking at that as a possibility. And um, meantime, Frank's in school and uh, taking courses again, or a course, not not rushing too fast. But um, and he's also done music and art therapy, and and um, you know is is uh, developing in ways that <clears throat> I would not have thought necessarily possible a few years ago. Yeah. So one thing I would like to say, and then I'm going to turn the question around to you. But one of the things that I want to point out, because as a practitioner. I have found that parents will say they will do anything for their child, but when you give them the prescriptions from spirit to do, they won't do it often. And so I just want to point out that that there's this beautiful transformation that has happened and is happening in Franklin's life, and it's it must be an enormous relief for you and, and his mother's heart, I'm sure, <laughs> to see this happening. But... I want to really acknowledge each of you for being willing to do your part because you you have huge pieces you needed to do for yourselves, for him. Um, you know, and, oh, and yeah. like you said, the first time you did that water ritual, what were you thinking? Like, what the hell am I doing? <laughs> what the hell am I doing out here? You know, I was, I was walking along with an ear of of Indian corn, you know, plucking each kernel off and, and with my thumb and casting it into the water. I mean, it took a while. I'm going up and down the beach doing this, um, uh, trying to, as I say, be sort of invisible to a few other people who are around. And, yeah, so, you know, but I somehow I just, I don't know, I had faith in it that uh, it was something about maladoma that made me uh, believe in the process mm-hmm. and um, that I felt like, you know, he cared and that he was also uh, – in tune to a reality that I couldn't see, but that I mm-hmm. could trust or have faith in that something positive was going to come of it. And, yeah. you know, years... And, years, and Kay yeah, as well, ahead. right? I mean, Kay's, Kay, oh, yeah. Kay's work also had that kind of, oh, this is actually helping even if I don't understand what's going on. Yeah, Absolutely. And she would go and do um, check-ins, um, uh, visiting Frank, what she called Franklin's um, deeper or higher wisdom self, and uh, and you know she would see him, see that <laughs> that wisdom self uh, at work doing a painting or something, and she saw a spirit animal that was connected to him, that was a bear, a black bear, I believe, and um, you know so and this bear was a comforting source uh, that was there with the uh, the higher wisdom self part of him. Um, I don't know how else to say it. That's what she called it. Too. Mm-hmm, and, uh, mm-hmm. Sure, uh, sure. And and so yeah, she's she's remarkable. I mean, she's a real thing too. I mean, you know, amazing, amazing person. And and was a bit reluctant about being in the book at first. She's she's a not a, uh, a real public uh, kind of figure. But hey, I put her in. She was all right with right. that. And, right. Right. So well, and 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 there's um, and I mean this in the best possible sense of it but there is an aspect of public service in this book i mean i guess there isn't every book but but really i mean to be willing to share um the arduous nature of this journey the heartbreaking nature of the journey the terror 
along this journey and and yet and the, and then the willingness to to try things that were utterly you know unfathomable in the beginning and yet seeing how the confirmations come and the alignment and things change and you know i mean what would you say now though to other parents who might be experiencing that 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 teenage time where everything goes to hell in a handbasket and they're terrified yeah it is terrifying and i would say look from the be- from the beginning which i did not do and wish i had but look for other possible approaches than just as the doctors will will do and the pharmaceutical companies slap you on medication and you know and say basically you're going to have to be on it for the rest of your life or you're going to be in a hospital uh, or your son will, your son or daughter will be and you know uh, there are other avenues there are, there are nutritional avenues uh, there are micronutrients that can be taken you know and these things are all available and can be explored um, I wish there were more group settings where there, there used to be well, there's one today called Soteria I think but you know there, there used to be uh, uh, places that, that younger people could get together and, and share things and, and a lot of them went, went off medication and never had to go back on I mean you know it was, it was a matter of it was a form of group talk therapy I guess but you know extremely helpful and there are ways uh, that you know you don't have to be um, on one of these um, antipsychotics for the rest of your life and so I would say that, you know, if you, and if you catch this early enough, I mean, now Frank, uh, facing this situation when my son's been on medication uh, or else in hospital, you know, for many, many years, um, it's hard. It's going to be very difficult, and it's going to have to be very slowly and consciously done um, if he's going to be able to taper off the, the meds. Um, but, you know, when you're younger, that's it, it can be done um more quickly and so mm-hmm. i would certainly say say that and i would also say to parents you know that there is there's light at the end of many a dark tunnel and um i wrote the book because i wanted to convey that that you know and if i figured all right i'm just going to bear my guts here and you know tell this whole story and with as, as all my mistakes all the things that uh the hopelessness of the situation and yet you know and yet at the same time at the same time there was always this um this otherworldly psychic component that i had to pay attention to that my son manifested i mean for a long time um right from the very beginning he was in the hospital and you know the first after the first breakdown and you know talking about pain and talking about how it you know people having to go through things and um and his journaling was was amazing a lot of that's in the book um along with some of his his paintings are in the book too in the photo insert section and you know there's also this tremendous often with people afflicted uh with this kind of uh what's called a mental illness you know are extremely gifted artistically i mean that there have been books written about that especially with bipolar you know k, k. redfield jameson wrote a marvelous book about all the great poets and musicians and you know these people uh were in tune to something else and and that's not appreciated enough and uh you know, I mean, years ago, I remember a friend when Franklin was born, and somebody looked at, looked at a picture of him when he was a day old, and looked at uh, we, his parents, and said, "You know, I think Franklin is really your teacher," mm-hmm. and that has really been true in many ways. I mean, I certainly would not wish uh, all that he's been through on anyone, and yet, you know, he's he's started to come out the other side of it, and. Um, and I've discovered what a remarkable human being he is. I mean, in many ways, a much more poetic and gifted writer than I am. Um, and and tr- tr- truly, you know, uh, uh, 
in tune with uh, with another reality that that I've learned about through him. And I think another aspect that's really the you know the beauty in this journey is is you know as I said asking you to be on this show is you're not just some new age person who rejected the medical model outright but that you're a person who came came to your contemporary person who came to shamanism very organically very very one coincidence led to another and you tried it and 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 it had some validity and you tried some more you know and that and that you know that's another thing for people to understand you know not all people who call themselves shamans have exactly the same skill set however any practitioner who comes out of a cosmology can potentially see whatever's been diagnosed as some kind of mental illness through a different lens and, right. uh, and, and in that, understand it differently. And if we understand it differently, then we can potentially see other paths forward. And, and that's the value, I think, of looking at any problem through a different lens is where, often what seemed impossible or unacceptable or just too heart-wrenching from one perspective has another um, way to be seen and in that to be understood and then in that per- perhaps to be changed if it needs to be. Yeah, yeah, I think you've you've really you've really said it that uh that that's that's the you know and and it's not <laughs> it's never over, you know, I mean yeah. uh it 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 goes on and um I'm um uh, you know at this point I'm well I'm optimistic that that my son's going to have a better life certainly than he he could have. Um Yeah. Uh, than you thought when he was 20 20- 27 yeah oh yeah oh yeah i mean so much different and and you know we've had incredible experiences together you know going to africa maybe going to go to africa again i mean i've always been drawn to africa i was drawn there when i was young i spent a lot of time there and spent time with the medicine man did all that kind of stuff and so you know it's somehow part of my uh my destiny too um in that sense and um but but you know i mean years ago well, thousands of years ago, they they uh, Julian James wrote a great book um, about called uh, about the bicameral mind, and he he spoke of how back in the in before there was uh, recorded history uh, or the or early literature like the uh, the Odyssey and the Iliad. You know, before that, he said people because of the way the brain, the left brain and right brain, that, that people actually lived in a sort of a schizophrenic reality a lot. I mean, they were getting these messages from the gods, and and this was an accepted kind of thing, and it was only uh, later uh, in Western culture, the, with the later Greeks and then the Romans, that all this kind of started to fade away. But um, uh, but anyway, it's a, it's a fascinating fascinating uh, uh, way to look at it. And uh, yeah, you know, there was a South African healer, Colin Campbell, who once wrote, I, I have this in the book, that people hearing voices, for instance, or feeling certain things are in touch with other realities, especially the whole mythic realm that Western society does not have a time or a place for. So who is going to give voice to those parts of us? And that, you know, is what I've tried to do with in writing My Mysterious Son, is give, ultimately give voice to, to those parts that uh, have value and validity. Well, Dick, thank you for bringing your gift of writing actually to bear on this. And I think you've done a beautiful job in exactly that. And so thank you for joining us today to talk about your book. Thank you so much, Christine. I've really enjoyed talking with you and having your insights as well. 
So everyone, the book is My Mysterious Son by Dick Russell, and it's available from Skyhorse Publishing, Powell's Books here in Portland or Amazon.com, all over the place. Um, and I, I definitely encourage you to um, buy it and, and, and explore this, this journey. There's a lot of pieces, especially for those of you that keep asking for more information about how we can understand shamanism and mental illness in a new way. So thank you, everyone, for joining us today. I give thanks to the ancestors, to Maladomas, and to, to Dick's, and Edda's, and Franklin's, and all who have made this journey possible that's captured in this beautiful book, and to those who are willing to publish it and put it out there in the world. So I give thanks to all the ancestors gathered around us, the earth below, and the sky above, and the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone.